The first reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As, high, as the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The second reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but, but now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, my name is Richard, if we haven't met, and uh, it's lovely to see some faces that I feel like I haven't seen for a very long time. Uh, lovely to have uh, people joining us as well at home. Uh, we are, if you wanted your Bible open in one place, it'd be Hebrews that we read, Hebrews 12. It'll be a while before we got there. It's sort of a sermon on the two readings we had, sort of a sermon on the whole Bible. We'll be done by lunch. Uh, don't worry about that. Uh, but as we go, as we begin, shall we pray together? Our Father, we've just uh, heard... My heart cries out, hallelujah, strength and honor, praise and glory unto thee. And that is true when we come to the Easter story, when we come to the cross of Jesus, when we come to the empty tomb and our risen Lord. 
There is something in us that can't but cry out praise and honor to you. And yet we'd know as well that crying in our hearts is weaker than it should be. Pulled in all sorts of directions, other things that we love, other things that we worship. And so please, would you uh, speak to us by your spirit in your word? Would you set our hearts again crying praise and honor to you above all other things? Amen. I'm not going to beat around the bush. The uh, aim of this sermon is that in each of us there would be a, a growing and increasing longing to come to church, to come Sunday by Sunday at 11 o'clock or 9.15 or 6 o'clock or whatever it might be, uh, to come in person, to gather together at church. Now, as I say that, there are at least three things that I'm aware of that will be going through different heads, maybe uh, all three in yours, maybe more in yours. But one is, and especially this being the live stream service, there are people uh, for whom we're not talking about coming back to church. People who a year ago or a year and a week ago when we were last together weren't here. There are some who are housebound. And uh, we, in some ways, we have experienced some of what you live this last year. And we don't want this year coming that you feel left behind. We want the experience of the last year to, to mean that we can better love and serve you. There are others, of course, who have joined us during lockdown, who may have become Christians during lockdown, who have started watching services online during lockdown and never been in this building in their lives. And if you think what it's like to join a group of people that you've never met before, there are all kinds of ways that can be tricky. And again, if that's you, if you're watching at home, you'd be very welcome to come any Sunday, but that might be a step that's too much. There are other things. A newcomer's course will be starting after Easter. A Christianity Explored group will be starting after Easter, if that would be a step for you uh, coming back. There are others, of course, who've been watching not just from Manchester. We are um, international now, according to the YouTube statistics. And if you're watching not from Manchester, you're very welcome to be with us as a guest but I hope in you too there'd be a longing to be able to join physically, locally with a church. And you may have been one in the past that's not meeting at the moment. If you haven't been and would like us to try and link you up with one, we'd love to try and do that. There are some of whom we're just not talking about coming back to the building, but potentially coming for a first time, potentially never being able to come. A second reality, of course, there are people who just aren't leaving the house at the moment. It's not that they aren't coming to church, they aren't going anywhere. We'll all draw lines in different places. Maybe it's waiting for a vaccine. Maybe it's waiting until the national situation changes. We'll make those decisions different ways, and that's all right. I said uh, two hours ago at the first service, I'll say at six o'clock again, my fear for this sermon is that those of us who are in the building go away thinking, well, we are right, and they are wrong. That's not at all the aim. I'd love us who are here to go away thinking we have a huge blessing of being able to gather as a church family. How can we bless those who don't have that at the moment? And the third thing I'm aware of, as I say the word blessing, is this might not feel much of a blessing. And we might be far more aware of the things that we don't have as we gather than the things that we do, as we can't sing together as we can't spend time together afterwards, as children are stuck in here with us and you'd much rather be in groups in the back rooms. I'm aware of all of those things and more that will be going through our heads. And for all that still, my hope, my prayer, is that in each of us, 
there'd be a growing and increasing longing, a desire, even if it's not possible to be a reality, a desire to be together, gathered as a church to worship the Lord Sunday by Sunday. That's the hope. And as part of doing that, I'm going to talk quite a lot about mountains. Uh, If you wondered why do we read Isaiah and Hebrews, what's the connection between them? At least one connection between them is the mountains that they talk about. And actually, uh, mountains are big in uh, the Bible. I was talking with someone after the first service. I did a PhD on mountains in different religions around the world. Apparently, there's a PhD uh, to be written in that, at least one. Uh, When I was at Bible college, one of our lecturers said that the story of the whole Bible, uh, from beginning to end, what is the Bible about? It's about God gathering a people to worship him on the mountain. Now, he did admit that does leave some details out, and there are other ways you could sort of summarize it, but it's a pretty decent one. The Bible is about God gathering a people to worship him on the mountain. So at the very beginning, the very end of the Bible, Genesis 2, Revelation 22, second and last chapter, uh, God has people with him in a garden or in the garden city where his throne is, gathered to enjoy him, to worship him, to serve him. And both of those are mountain places. Rivers, if you read those chapters, flow out from them. And I don't have a PhD in mountains, but I gather rivers flow down mountains, not up them. And so if a river's flowing out, it means you're high. God gathers people to worship him on a mountain at the very beginning, the very end of the Bible. And loads of places you could drop down in the middle to see that working out. One of them that we read was the Isaiah, Isaiah 2. And there's one verse from that reading. Uh, We're told the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It'll be exalted above the hills and nations will stream to it. So you've got a stream again in that chapter of Isaiah, a river. But this time the river is people streaming to the Lord. And this time they're streaming up the mountain. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, the highest of the mountains, and the nations will stream to it. They're going the wrong way. Because such is the gravity and the weight and the pull of the Lord as he gathers people to worship him. He can even make the rivers go whoop up the mountain to him. From the beginning and end to the Bible, of the Bible, God is gathering a people to worship him on the mountain. And if that's the story of the Bible, you could equally say, why did God create the universe? What is God doing in history? He's gathering a people to worship him on the mountain. Now, what's that got to do with coming to church? Uh, Because Rush Home is pretty flat. Uh, None of us have climbed a mountain to get here. is, Is there any connection? And I guess on one level you could say, well, if God is gathering people to worship him, if that is the point of history, if that's the goal of creation, then surely gathering as a church to worship him must be a good thing. But actually, Hebrews that we read will help us go deeper than that. And having sort of zoomed across the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to zoom in on three words in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verse 22, we're told, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, that great final ultimate gathering of people to worship God on the mountain. We're told here, you have come. In a sentence, the point of this sermon is that when we come to church, we come to that mountain. 
We come to the goal of history. We come to the end of creation. Coming to church is a little like stepping into Doctor Who's TARDIS. It is far bigger on the inside than you'd ever guess from the outside. There's far more going on than you would imagine. When we come to church, we come to the mountain where God is gathering people to worship him. Now, as I said, there's a couple of uh, things I want to be clear on, a couple of things that I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we only come to the mountain, come to worship God when we come to church. Christians are united with Jesus. Where he is, we are spiritually united by his Holy Spirit. And so where Jesus is, that's where we are. And he is there, and we are too. All the time, whether awake or asleep, whether working or resting, whether sinning or praying, we are with Jesus in him, and so we're at this mountain. It's not only true when we come to church, nor is it fully true when we come to church. There is a future physical enjoyment of this to come, a new creation where we'll enjoy this physically. The book of Hebrews will continually urge us to strive to keep going until we arrive Even it says, you have come, it says, keep going until you arrive. This isn't fully true when we come to church. There's more to look forward to. It's not only true when we come to church. It's not fully true when we come to church. But I think Hebrews would say it is more true when we come to church. When we come to church, when we gather together to worship, we come more so to the great mountain. Why do I think that? Uh, Well, at least because of this reason. Uh, Hebrews originally, unlike lots of the New Testament, wasn't written as a letter, but as a sermon. Written to be stood up and preached, much like I'm doing at the moment. And so when the congregation would hear those words, you have come, they'd have to be thinking about the journey that they've just made. This is a, a people who have come to church, who've set their alarm clocks and got dressed and put lunch in the oven and got in the car and done their hand sanitizer and test and trace stuff and come and sat down, and then they hear those words, you have come, they must be thinking about the journey they've just made. Yeah, we know we've come. We're here. We've come to church. Yes, that's true, but also you've come to Mount Zion. You've come when you came to church to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You stepped into the TARDIS. There's far more going on than you would have imagined. And uh, I've been trying to work through how, how is it more true? It's, it's not only true, it's not fully true, but it's more true. What does that quite mean? And I think actually the last year probably has helped us understand it better. How can there be sort of levels of how much we've come? And actually lockdown and the creative ways that people have found to be together probably gives us a, a picture of it. I think one of the images that will stay with me for my life is back in lockdown one, seeing photos of babies being held up to windows so that new grandparents could meet them through the glass. And you think, have the grandparents come to their grandchild? Well, yes and no. Not fully, there aren't the cuddles that we want, there's so much lacking, but, but yes, they've come as close as they possibly can at the moment, knowing there's more fullness to come in the future. And coming to church, it is like being up against the glass. It's it's as close as we can get. We really are there, even as there's more to come in the future. When we come to church, we've come to the mountain where God is gathering a people to worship him. 
Uh, what sort of mountain is that? Uh, Hebrews, uh, these verses while we're here, will tell us three things that we've come to when we come to this mountain. The first is we come to God. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You've come to God, the judge of all. When we come to church, when we come to the mountain, we come to God. I wonder what you made of the idea that uh, the purpose of the universe is for God to gather a people to worship him. If part of you thought that seems a little vain, a little self-centered, everyone, come and worship me! You wouldn't be the first person ever to have thought that. But actually, the Bible would say, rather than an act of self-centeredness, that is the most generous that God could possibly be. Imagine uh, a dad who all year was gone, never around, no one ever quite sure where he is, but every Christmas, without fail, would turn up uh, with sort of a car bulging with um, presents and sort of dump all these presents onto the living room floor, uh, stay for the 10 minutes that it takes just to unload them and eat them in pie, and then he's off again. So he's, is that dad generous? I mean, the, the gifts may be very expensive, very impressive, but his family wants him. And as you read the Bible as you start to see a God that's described in the Bible, we realize if God just dumped carload after carload after carload of gifts on us, that'd be cruel compared to showing us himself. Half a second of seeing his glory and beauty and majesty is better than eternity of anything else he could possibly give us. The Psalms say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. God generously brings us to the mountain to get a glimpse of him. When we come to church, we come to God. Then secondly, when we come to church, we come to a vast, joyful assembly. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. When we come to church, we don't just gather with 70 people that we are in a room at the moment, we gather with the church in heaven. Thousands of angels with the Christians who've gone before us, now made perfect, now enjoying Jesus. We come together with them. We're part of that great gathering, we're told here. A few years ago on a Sunday morning, I was getting ready for church and my phone buzzed and I found out that a friend had died overnight. And I sort of kept getting ready and sort of in shock, probably, and numb, and went to church. And I don't think I really heard anything of what was going on at the front. And then something caught my attention. It was a communion service. And it was a Church of England church. We used the same words as we use here. And we got to this bit, uh, which you might recognize um, if you remember the last time we were able to have communion together, if you were here. It is indeed right. It is our duty and our joy at all times and all places to give you thanks and praise, Holy Father, Heavenly King. Therefore, with angels and archangels, this is what caught my attention, and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name forever, praising you and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might. With angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven and with my friend, Because this mountain is where he was, where he is. 
He gets to be there really enjoying it. He is saying, holy, holy, holy Lord. And in that moment, I was able to say those words with him. When we come to church, we come with a vast, joyful assembly of Christians through the centuries. And then thirdly, we come to Jesus. We're told, uh, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant unto the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We've come to Jesus, the, the mediator, the one who stands between us and God, who allows us to be there, and to his blood, which speaks. What does his blood say? What does his death say? As we approach Easter, we'll consider again some of the things that Jesus said as he was dying, those precious words in his last hours, revealing his heart to us. And among them, of course, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when we come to the mountain, his blood still speaks, his death still speaks those words over his people. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. As the anthem that covers the people who are gathered at the mountain. None of us there by right, but there because Jesus says daily and eternally, Father, forgive them. When we come to church, we come to God. We come to a vast, joyful assembly. We come to Jesus. As we finish, uh, a couple of words in a couple of different directions. Uh, firstly, a word, how do we think about those then who can't gather? Whether that's just sort of a short-term thing at the moment or whether that would be a long-term thing. I said uh, before, there's been all kinds of creative ways that we found over the last year of being with people that we can't be with, whether that's through a window, whether that's you know, wearing hazmat suits, whether that's on Zoom, whether that's sort of at a distance outside. All kinds of things that a year ago we wouldn't have done, but we think it's as close as we can get. How close can we get in a way that's safe, in a way that's responsible? I'd love it if over the next year, our creative energy went to how can we gather to worship with those who can't gather? And as uh, things start to unlock, as restrictions start to ease, what, that might, what might that be? Maybe at the moment all we can do is phone someone and read a psalm together. Maybe in a few weeks we can gather a few of us together to pray outdoors. Maybe in a few weeks we can start to think, well, is there someone that we can go and watch the live stream with in their house and then bring lunch and we'll eat it together? And then what? And then what? We who have the blessing in this room of gathering together, how can we take that blessing and let it overflow as a blessing to those who can't gather with us at the moment? And then for those of us who can come, and whether we've chosen to or we've chosen not to yet, when it comes to whatever it is, quarter to 11 or quarter to nine or whatever service it would be that would be your home, and there's all kinds of reasons not to come, all kinds of limitations of church at the moment, all kinds of anxieties and fears, all kinds of ways in which staying at home is just easier, all kinds of sadness being here and feeling and confronting the things that we've lost, 
Can we have in our ears again, our, our hearts again? That Hebrew says, when we come to church, we come to a mountain. The mountain where eternally God is gathering a people to worship him. We come to God, we come to Jesus, we come to a vast assembly. Hebrews says, as, as Pete told us in chapter 10, don't give up meeting together. Because when we meet together, when we come to worship, it's not just us, it's not just as weak and as naff and as limited as it feels in this room, but we come to what God is doing in the universe. We get to come up to the glass of the mountain. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that you would lift our eyes and lift our hearts to see coming to you, coming together to you as worth anything, as being worth creating a universe, as being worth the whole run of history to get a creation to that point of a gathering around the mountain to worship you. Please would that be a thing that increasingly thrills us. And so for those of us who are able to come, would you give us eyes to see what's really happening as we gather? For those who aren't able to come, please would you sustain us with the hope that one day this will be our reality and help us be creative in how close we can get at the moment. And for those who are weighing it up, and for whom this is one on top of a hundred decisions that we need to make at the moment, of what we do with the new freedoms that there are, and what we do and what we don't do, and what's sensible and what's not sensible, and what's safe and what's not safe, and what's a priority and what's not a priority. Father, give us wisdom where we're weary of making decision after decision after decision. And please help us respond rightly uh, to, to what you're doing in the universe. And please, whether it can be realized or not, would there be a growing desire in us to be with other people, praising you as the only one who's worthy of it. Amen.